All right. Good morning. Hey, I am glad that you're here and you are glad that you're here. Do you know why you're glad that you're here? Because it means you're not homesick in bed and that's a good thing, right? Hey, uh, before I get into the message, I want to share just a quick story with you. Um, Many of you know that we invest on the West Side, especially through the Second Avenue Center and providing meals and after school help for kids with their homework. Um, And kind of a funny thing happened on Tuesday. So you may remember Tuesday um, was that weird snow in the morning. So elementary kids kind of got to school and then it just dumped. And so a lot of middle school and high school kids couldn't get to school or didn't go to school. And so one of our high school kids, Davin, um, decided, well, he couldn't go to school. And so after school, he went to the Second Avenue Center to help out with homework buddies. And uh, he's not a regular there, but his mom does it. And so, um, so he's just hanging out there. And there's this one little second grader who just refuses to do his homework. And so Betsy tries to get him to do his homework, and he won't do it. And then... Um, this other homework buddy tries to help him, you know, make him do it, help him do it, whatever, he won't do it. And then Davin comes along, a punk high school kid, and he goes, I'll tell you what, I'll give you Cheetos hot fries if you will do two math homework. So anyway, so Davin was the hero of the day. And so for every two math problems he did, Davin gave him a Cheetos flaming hot crunchy or whatever that is. So well done, young man. Hey, you know, this is the time of year um, when I think a lot of people are thinking, you know, I, I want to get more involved with church. I want to get plugged into church. I want to be more involved. I want church to help my relationship with God. People have a lot of those thoughts around this time of year. And so because of that, uh, today and for the next three weeks, we're going to have kind of this mini push, which is called Plug In Today. And so when you walked in this morning, inside your bulletin was a little sheet looks like this. You can take that out if you want. And it says, Plug In Today. And basically what it is, is over the next three weeks, we want to give you the opportunity to get plugged into River Ridge Church if that's something that you want to do. If you say, I'd really like to get involved around here. How do I do that? Here's three ways that you can get plugged in. Uh, community as far as being in a group, serving, uh, and then giving. And so we're going to talk about this for three weeks and kind of highlight one each of the weeks. Um, and today you saw the video of Crystal and why it was that she got involved in a home group uh, the very first time. And I think that, you know, one of the things that we talk about at Riverage Church is that we're about community, about relationships with each other. And here's the thing is community happens, good relationships happen, not in rows, but in circles. So on a Sunday morning, you sit in rows and I talk and you listen, or hopefully you listen. You listen sometimes, right? Um, but it's not, a, it's not a dialogue. It's not a back and forth. But when you sit in a circle in a home group, it's back and forth. Different people share, this is what's going on, and they help and they encourage each other and they're there for each other. And I really encourage you, if you're at that point, you're like, I really want to get more plugged into the church. Uh, any one of these ways is great, but especially think about what it would it look like for you to be involved in a group. So just check the boxes off there. We'll call you or text you or email you and help you to figure out um, how to do that. You can just take this and there, we kind of built like a big receptacle out there, like get plugged in kind of theme. You can stick that uh, in the box out there. So let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that you utilize Riverage Church uh, to reach kids on the west side, even through Cheetos, Lord. And uh, just what a blessing that is. And I got, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you would um, show us, that you would teach us, 
Um, help us to just be honest with ourselves and honest with our outlook on people um, and that we would hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we started this series uh, and it's titled Jesus Never Said That. And so what we're doing is we're looking at what are some of the popular things that people say, well, Jesus said this, but they don't, it's not actually what he said or it's taken out of context. And then looking at that same topic and say, well, what did Jesus say about this topic? Or what does God's word have to say about this topic? Um, and so last week the title was Forgive and Forget. Jesus never said forgive and forget. But if you were here last week, we did talk about what Jesus did say, especially through this parable that we looked at, that Jesus basically said, forgive and never forget how much I have sacrificed for you. So we talked about that last week. Next week, uh, it's kind of an intriguing one. It's the, uh, the topic is Jesus never said uh, God wants you to be happy. Jesus never said God wants you to be happy. And then the week after that is Jesus never said God won't give you more than you can handle. So those are the next two weeks. Uh, but we also put together this reading guide. Uh, and so on one side it says 40 teaching of, of Jesus. The other side it says the same thing. And there are 40 basically passages that I picked out of the Bible that are I think some of the most famous passages that Jesus taught uh, or where he's speaking. And so I encourage you, if you didn't get one of these last week, you can pick them up on either of the silver tables outside uh, as you leave, outside the, the double doors. So here's the statement uh, for this week, is that Jesus never said, Christians should never judge. Now, we're going to do a little raise your hand thing here. Uh, so raise your hand, be honest, close your eyes if you need to. Uh, but how many of you have ever been judged? How many of you ever say, I have been judged? I have, yes, good. So let the record show pretty much everybody raised their hand except those that thought it was a trick. Okay, good. All right. Um, now, here's the next question. How many of you like being judged? Okay, let the record show and nobody raised their hand. Good. Okay. Now, here's the last question. By show of hands, how many of you have ever judged somebody else? Wow, what a bunch of hypocrites you guys are. <laughs> Holy cow. You know, there's definitely a disconnect uh, that all of us feel judged from time to time uh, and all of us judge other people from time to time. And, you know, and probably the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. It's probably the most quoted. But the next one, people don't necessarily know where it comes from, but people say, do not judge, right? Don't judge. And say, that's in the Bible. Do not judge. Jesus says, don't judge. And, you know, and I think sometimes we even like to put it in the old English. So we put the verse this way. It says, judge not lest you be judged, right? And judge not lest you be judged. It sounds, you know, you got, you got to wag your finger with that too, right? Or it also sounds a bit Yoda-ish. You go, hmm, judge not lest you be judged, right? So it kind of fits. So, but that's one of those verses where it's like, well, did Jesus really say that? Well, Let's look in Matthew chapter seven. Open up to Matthew chapter seven. So Matthew chapter seven, verse one, says this. It says, judge not that you be not judged. Now, people quote that in, in various ways. Don't judge. Jesus said, don't judge. Don't ever judge. But it's a verse 
that's very much ripped out of context. It's a verse people use when they say, don't correct me, or say, I, I want to do what I want to do, so don't go telling me. And so they kind of shake their finger and say, don't judge me. But if we look at this in the wider context, let's do that. So it says, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be used to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? The hypoc- you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. See, Jesus did say you're not to judge, but he didn't say you're to never judge. In here, he gives us some qualifications or some understandings about what does it mean and when is it okay to judge and and how do we go about that? How do we go about having conflict and confrontation and correction? Now, one thing that is clear is that when it comes to judging, we're never to judge somebody else's salvation. We're never to say, well, I think you're going to heaven and you're going to heaven, but you're not going to heaven and you're certainly not going to heaven. And we're not to do that. But there is a place where we make everyday judgments about correcting other people. Let me give you a couple examples. Let's say you're at Kroger and you're a young mom or a young dad and you've got your little one with you. And so you're walking through the parking lot and then and the, you know, the child is next to you holding your hand or holding onto the cart and you're walking. And then all of a sudden the kid, the child, breaks away and goes tearing through the parking lot at Kroger. At that point, what do you do? You judge the child, do you not? You bring the child to you, you catch the child and you say, you say, you cannot leave me when we're in this crowded parking lot. You cannot do that. We have judged the child. Now we don't get the kid and say, you cannot leave me, otherwise you will go straight to hell. Don't do that. Can't do that either, right? But we are making a judgment in that situation. If your spouse is having an affair, there is an appropriate way and time to say, that is not acceptable. That is a correction. That is a judgment. If you have a friend who's getting sucked down into depression or prescription drugs or self-harm, there is a healthy and good judgment where we come alongside that person and say, you cannot live your life this way. This is not what is best for you. If your son gets a mullet, Is there a place for judgment there? I don't know. That's why I'm doing this sermon. Is it okay to judge the pastor who lets his son get a mullet? I don't know that one either. Please get that off of there. Thank you. This morning, we're going to talk about judgment. What Jesus did say, what he didn't say. When is it appropriate? What is it? How do we go about judgment? How do we not go about it? Because ultimately, when we talk about judging, we're talking about correcting somebody and telling them this is what is right. And what we're going to talk about, if you have any kind of conflict in your life, a lot of it will apply. It's going to apply to husband and wife relationship and conflict there. 
and disagreements. It's gonna apply to boyfriend and girlfriend relationships. It's gonna apply to parent-child relationships, whether you're the parent you know, and your child is 10 or 12, or maybe you're the child and your parent is 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or whatever it is. And we're gonna talk about how do we have these conflicts? How do we judge when is it okay, when is it not okay? It's gonna apply to your work relationships, wherever you work, what that looks like. It's gonna apply to your small group that you're at as part of River Ridge Church. It's gonna apply to how do you relate to those inside the church and also how do you relate to those outside of the church. And this is something that, it's a hard topic, but this is so important that we get this right. Because when we don't get this right, it fouls up a lot of things. I talk to people all the time who got burned by being judged by Christians. They were burned by Christians who just handled judgment in a terrible way. And some of you are probably here and you have wounds because of how some Christian has judged you in God's name. We've got to get this right. But on the other side of this, when Christians get this right, when we get judging and confrontation and conflict right, beautiful things can happen through that and through accountability. When I was in college, I was involved with a ministry called InterVarsity. And my InterVarsity leader, uh, was a woman named Kim, and we got to be very good friends and she really poured into me and helped me and helped me to grow. Um, and after we got to know each other for a while, um, she confronted some unhealthy behavior in my life. And she said to me, Matt, you put way too much time and effort and energy and thought into pursuing girls, into getting girls or women to like you. You do that way too much. And she said, and furthermore, I'm gonna challenge you with this, to give up dating for an entire year. And all of that time and effort and energy that you had put into getting the girl, I would challenge you to put that into your relationship with God. And so I did. And so for the next year, I intentionally didn't date anybody and I worked on my relationship with God. And as a result of that year, my relationship with God grew in a foundation that carries on to this day. And also as a result of that conversation of her judging me saying, this is not right in your life, my relationships with women became way, way more healthy in the future because of that year that she challenged me to take off because she had my best at heart when she had this confrontational discussion about unhealthy behavior in my life. And so I want us to get this right because when we get it wrong, bad things happen. But when we get it right, beautiful things of God can happen. If you look at your outline, you can pull that out now. You're gonna see on here that there's four things to don't do, four don'ts, and three do's. And I'm gonna, we're gonna fill those in in a minute and say, when it comes to confrontation and conflict, here's four things that you don't wanna do, and then here's three things that you do wanna do. But I also recognize that this is not nearly as simple as do these four things, don't do these three things, or four and three, or whatever. It's not as simple as following a list. Because when we're talking about confrontation and judgment and people and relationships, it's messy. It is not a seven points on an outline. It can be messy. And even as you look at the life of Jesus, 
he had conflict and confrontations and it wasn't always super clear. There was a messiness even when Jesus did this. Matthew 23 says this. Jesus says this. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. And then he goes on and he says that you Pharisees and scribes, you are blind guides. And then he says, and you're like a whitewashed tomb. You're nice and pretty on the outside, but inside you stink. Inside you stinketh, is what he says. That you smell bad and you've put on this facade. And then he goes and he has a conversation with a guy who's a traitor to his own country. He's a tax collector. He collects taxes on his own people and rats them out to the Roman government. And he goes to that guy, Zacchaeus, and he says, come down from the tree. I want to have dinner at your house. Then he goes to another guy, Levi, who is also a tax collector. He says, I want you to follow me and become a lifelong disciple of mine. And his name is Matthew. And so it's, it's even different and messy with Jesus. There's a time when some people brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery before Jesus. And they're like, we should stone her. We should stone her. He says some wise words of wisdom and then they all disperse. And then Jesus says this. And in this statement, he both judges and doesn't judge. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. So he says, I do not condemn you. But at the same time, he also says, but leave your life of sin. He doesn't say, well, just keep doing what you're doing. It's all good and happy. He says, I don't condemn you, but leave your life of sin. And I share that because as, as God is hopefully bringing to mind people in your life that you may say, hey, we might need to have a conversation. It's not as simple as here's four things and here's three things, but it's a bit more complicated. But at the same time, I wanna give us a framework of some things that Jesus said to help us to navigate these waters. So here's the first one, is don't judge without the whole story. Don't judge without the whole story. Here's what Jesus said. He said, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. You know, sometimes we want to say, sometimes we judge people and we don't know the whole story. And sometimes we judge people in our minds and the way that we think about them and we don't know the whole story. And sometimes we judge them out loud to their face or about them and we don't know the whole story. And what Jesus is saying here is don't judge by the appearances. Don't judge by just the superficial and what you know. Understand what's going on. Know the person's story, their backstory. I'll give you a kind of example of this. Um, uh, talked about the Second Avenue Center earlier. So I volunteer there on Thursday afternoons. Uh, and then afterwards on Tuesdays and Thursdays, there's running club for those kids that want to get some exercise. So they take the kids down to um, Mary C. Snow on the boulevard. And then the kids run from Mary C. Snow uh, all the way down to Magic Island and back on that big sidewalk. And so Thursday, I'm like, I'd like to get a little exercise so I went with them. Um, and so they run for one minute and then they walk for one minute. And there's no time or doesn't matter how fast you just run for a minute, walk for a minute, run for a minute, walk for a minute, as long as it takes to get down there and then come back. 
Well, everybody does this uh, and kind of stays relatively close together and we get back, but there's this one little girl, right? I'll call her Lulu, right? That's not her name, but we'll call her Lulu. So Lulu doesn't get back with everybody else and she's walking with one of the uh, kind of volunteers there. And so I, I go back to check in because they're really taking a long time. And she is just walking incredibly slowly and she is just bawling her eyes out. Just, and she, I mean, just really, you know, and she's like in maybe kindergarten, first grade, probably six years old. And she's just, honestly, she's crying like a three-year-old. Like she just can't pull it together. And she needs to get back to the center. And I'm, I'm really close to just saying, look, Lulu, just pull yourself together. Quit acting like a three-year-old because she really is in just this tantrum that she's doing. And she, it's like, it's not that hard. You run for a mile and you walk for a mile. Just keep going. And then this is going on in my head before I spoke, and this is by the grace of God. I remembered a conversation that I had had with Betsy about two days before about Lulu and what had happened to her over the break and some traumatic stuff that had happened. And then it clicked that about five minutes before this, before I went back to find her, that eight police cars had been just tearing down um, the boulevard there, just tearing down, lights flashing, and they were on a manhunt for somebody that was on the loose. And, you know, and when I see flashing lights, I'm like, I'm probably speeding, right? That's what we think. When she sees flashing lights, it reminds her of what happened to her over break and the abuse that she took. And so that was her whole story and just the junk, and I'd like to use a much stronger word that happened in her life, but the stuff that goes on in her life, that's the backstory. It wasn't the walking or the running. It was that these lights, eight police cars go screaming about their lights on that just completely spooked her. That was her whole story. And I realize that that's kind of an extreme situation. But I want us to remember that story before we go hard charging in to somebody and say, do this, fix this, why'd you do this? That we go, maybe there's more to the story than we are seeing. Here's the second one is don't judge hypocritically. Don't judge hypocritically. Verse three, Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's kind of a funny image. Jesus, you know, saying there's this guy with this big, like, two-by-four in his eye, stuck in his eye, and he's trying to pick a speck of sawdust out of somebody else's eye. He says, first... Deal with your own stuff and then judge. And he does say it is okay to go and talk to the person about whatever their issue is, but look in the mirror first. Look at our own stuff. That's not to say that we have to have a perfect life before we have a conversation, but we need to look at our own lives and ask the question, why am I having this conversation? Second, uh, the third one is this. Don't judge pointlessly or even maybe a little bit differently. Don't judge if it will not be well-received. So when I read um, Matthew 7, I read all the way to the end of this section to verse 6, and there was a verse that I read on purpose that you probably go, what does that have to do with anything? It's this. It says, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And you read that, and you're like, 
what in the world is Jesus talking about? You know, this is why people go, why should I read the Bible? That's hard to understand. That is hard to understand. But there's something culturally going on here that when Jesus said it, they understood what he was talking about in the context of what had just come ahead that we don't get. And here's what he's talking about, is when we think about dogs, when I think about dogs, I think about my dog, Bailey, who's just absolutely the cutest thing ever. You think about your dog, Fluffy or Ruffy or Spot or whatever you call your dog, right? But at this time, that's not the way that they thought about dogs. The dogs were scavengers or dogs were at best kind of guards for wherever they lived. They didn't think about dogs. Dogs were not pets. Then it also talks about pigs. Pigs were nasty. Pigs were considered unclean. But yet, set against that, it says, don't give to dogs what is holy. Holy is good. Don't give to pigs. Don't give them pearls. Pearls are good. Pearls and holy both represent truth. And so what Jesus is saying is he's saying, don't give somebody truth who is not going to receive it. As a matter of fact, dogs oftentimes in the uh, New Testament are referred to as those who are unbelievers. So he says, don't throw truth before unbelievers. Don't put it before somebody that won't accept it. And so as you think about confrontation, you also need to think, will this be received? Yes, we can speak truth, but if we speak truth and it is not received, and sometimes we don't know until we get there, But if we speak truth that's not received, what happens? Tells us. It says, lest they trample them underfoot, so they trample the truth, and turn to attack you. How many times have people said, well, don't judge me. That's their attacking of you. So we need to consider how is it going to be received. And then this flows into the next one is don't judge non-Christians. Don't judge non-Christians or those who are outside the faith. We covered this back in the elephant in the room um, back in September. Uh, and I read this verse and I want to read it again because it's worth reading again. It says this, uh, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? And so it's this idea that we're not to judge those outside the church by Christian standards. I can't, we don't want to say, well, the Bible says don't do this, so you shouldn't do that. Well, we don't want to do that. It says don't judge those who are outside the church by Christian standards. Um, And that's not to say that we don't ever confront somebody who's not a Christian, but it needs to be in the context of the expectation of whatever it is that we share. So, you know, if there's an expectation at work that everybody performs work this way or arrives on time or does lunch hours this way or whatever it is that we confront in the basis of that, we wouldn't want to take out the Bible and say, well, the God says this if they're not, that's not something that they ascend to or are a part of. Now, those are the don'ts. Let me share with you three do's. Um, First one is do judge with grace. Do judge with grace. Jesus, or about Jesus, it was written this in the book of John. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, I highlighted two words on there, grace and in truth. In the Greek language, word order is important. So if you see, if you're reading the Bible and you see a list of attributes or a list of people, know that whatever comes first or whoever comes first is, is being valued as most important. And so we look at this and we say, how did Jesus come? What are the attributes of Jesus? Grace and truth. But grace comes first. 
And so when we confront somebody, when we have a conversation with somebody that is, in a sense, a judging conversation, we want to make sure that grace always precedes truth. Here's a verse that helps us with that. This is Galatians 6.1. It says, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. And I highlight a couple words for you there. The first is the word restore. The goal should always be to restore that person that we're talking to, to whatever it is that they need to be restored to. Sometimes we're restoring a relationship of that person to somebody else. Sometimes it's the relationship of that person to themselves. Sometimes it's the restoration of that person to us, that relationship. And sometimes it's the restoration of that person's relationship to God. But the goal has always needs to be restoration. It can't be, well, I just need to get this off of my chest. I just need to say this because I'm bundling it up inside. No, the goal is the restoration for them. And how do we do that? We do that gently. We do that gently. And I love, I read this earlier about Jesus. And Jesus says to the woman who's caught in adultery, he says, I don't condemn you, but leave your life of sin. And that's such a beautiful picture because we don't condemn the person. That's not our role to condemn the person. But what we do is we say, but this is the sin. And we need, as we, the gently part is making sure that we're very clear. I'm not judging you in your whole life and you're a terrible person. I'm just saying this action, this whatever it is, is a problem. And I want to help you with the restoration. Here's the next one is do judge in the context of relationship. And this really falls on the heels of what I just read. Um, but Proverbs 27, 6 says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And going back to when I was um, judged or confronted in college, Kim knew me really well. And she could say hard things to me because the relationship is there. And so we want to look at that and say, you know, if the relationship is there, then yeah, we can dive in and have tough conversations. But if there's no relationship, we need to be cautious about jumping into that. And then here's the last one, is do judge directly. Do judge directly. This is Matthew 18, five. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And then Jesus goes on and talks about some other steps. But it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. It doesn't say, if your brother sins against you, go and tell everybody else what that person did and not go to them. It doesn't say that. It also doesn't say, if your brother sins against you, then go post it on Facebook. Not what it says. It also doesn't say, if your brother sins against you, post it on Facebook in a cryptic way that he or she will know I'm talking to him, but nobody else will. Doesn't say that either. Not that anybody's ever done that before, right? It doesn't say if he sins against you, then send him an email or send her an email. There's so much that's lost when we email and do that kind of communication in tone, in facial gestures, in, in give and take. Doesn't say that. It also says he doesn't text them, right? And let them text back and then screenshot what they said and send it to your friend. Don't do that either. <laughs> oh, you've done that. Hmm. Doesn't say any of that. What does it say? If your brother sins against you, 
Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's the step that we take. We go directly to that person. Conflict, judgment, confrontation, relationships, it's not easy. It's difficult. It's messy. And we need to have a lot of God's grace and we need the Holy Spirit to help us to navigate this. Uh, I want to end in a little bit different way. If I could ask you to stand up, um, and this may be a little bit weird, a little bit awkward for some of you, but just kind of play along. Um, And I'd like you to just put your hands in a place like this of receiving. And, And the reason for this is because as we talk about judgment, part of it is going to other people and maybe God has laid on your heart somebody to go and talk to. But part of this is also being willing to receive what God has for you. And so just in a posture of receiving, I just wanna pray for you that we would be receptive to what God wants for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and I, God, maybe you've laid something in our heart that we need to have a talk to. And uh, God, let us work these steps and do it in a way that is filled with grace and truth. And, um, but also, Lord, we may be uh, the conversation that somebody has. And God, I pray that we would receive whatever people come to us with, Lord, because God, we want to receive from you. And, and sometimes that comes directly from you, but sometimes that comes through the words of a faithful friend. And so God, I pray that you would give us just a posture and a heart of humility and willingness to accept what you have for us. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.